An Aborigine Tale There was once a time when everything was very, very still. All the spirits of the earth were asleep, or almost all. The great father of all spirits was the only one who was awake, and gently he awoke the sun mother. As she opened her eyes, a warm ray of light spread out towards the sleeping earth. The father of all spirits said to the sun mother, Mother, I have work for you. Go down to the earth and wake up the sleeping spirits. Give them forms. Help them grow. The sun mother glided down to earth, which was bare at the time, and she began to walk in all directions. Everywhere she walked, plants began to wake up and grow. After returning to the field where she had begun her work, the mother rested, well pleased with herself. The father of all spirits came and saw her work, but instructed her to go into the caves and wake up the spirits there too. This time she ventured into the dark caves on the mountainsides. The bright light that radiated from her woke up the spirits, and after she left, insects of all kinds flew out from the caves. The sun mother sat down and watched the glorious sight of her insects mingling with her flowers. However, once again the father urged her on, Keep going! Next, the mother ventured into the very deep caves, spreading her light around her. Her heat melted the ice, and the rivers and the streams of the world were created. And then she created the fish and the snakes and the lizards and frogs. She kept on. She woke up the spirits of the birds and the animals, and they burst into the sunshine in a glorious array of colors. Seeing this, the father of all spirits was pleased with the sun mother's work. She called all her creatures to her and instructed them to enjoy the wealth of the earth and to live peacefully with one another. Then she rose back up into the sky to be the sun again. The living creatures watched the sun in awe as she crept across the sky every day towards the west. However, when she finally sunk beneath the horizon, they were panic-stricken, thinking she had deserted them. At night they stood frozen in their places, thinking that the end of time had come. After what seemed to them like a lifetime, the sun mother peeked her head above the horizon in the morning. The earth's children learned to expect her coming and going and were no longer afraid. This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm a storyteller, an independent artist, and an earthbound muse. It's a good morning to put fear and feelings from cold, icy words and dark thoughts behind us and watch the light of the sun rise over and warm up life again. I decided to talk about the sunshine today. A long, long time ago, when we lived our lives at the mercy of our environment, the weather, well, more so than what we do today, we developed this very intense, dramatic relationship with it that gave us this sense of intimacy, and we tied our spirituality to it. We needed each other, us and the earth and the weather, and so we respected it a little more. We stayed a little more philosophical, 
We meditated more. We were in tune. And then as the world evolved and our technical innovations improved, as we built societies that no longer needed to know what farming was, societies where you didn't have to learn how to build anything anymore, all you needed was a job somewhere away from home and a paycheck, and it didn't always have to have anything to do with the environment. We began slowly tearing ourselves away from that intimate relationship that we once had with the sun. Eventually, we even viewed it as a toxic and unhealthy thing. There are entire collectives of people now who don't even go outside and into it anymore at all. Of course, skin cancer is a big deal, but we've taken that fear so far through mass media, and now there are thousands of people who are so afraid of a passive tan that they've gone in other extreme directions, which is to avoid it to such a degree that they're compromising other aspects of their health. Let me talk about some of the things that we actually need from the sunshine. Almost anything living and growing needs the sun, including human beings. We're all made out of the same molecules, with slight differences in hormones and chemical compounds, but not that far of a stretch. If there's no sun, there's no life. We have photoreceptors and photopigments. We're made of enzymes and water and amino acids, which are all fluorophoric and chromophoric, which means light-emitting and light-absorbing. We have light transducers, light-sensing systems in our eyes, and all of these things work together to balance our physiology. We depend on that sunshine and we become sickly and weakened without it. We are made to absorb the sunlight. We need a small degree of its radiation. We need it just as much as plants do. A big problem with Western society and culture is the divorce that we've given ourselves from nature. Most of us don't want that divorce, that breakup. There's a reason we all like natural things so much. Why we feel better psychologically and physically when we're in the sunshine. But the way most people's lives are set up now, jobs that corner us in a sterile, fluorescent, lit room— the technology we use, and even more modern values and ideas, has caused a big disconnection that is causing us to die from disease much faster. Our bodies are already depleted and malnourished from bad food and diet habits, and we're adding a separation from the sun, which is a vital source of life support. Progress in society is a good thing. I'm all about innovation and technological advancement, but what I'm not for is leaving behind nature on any quest to become more progressive or advanced. I think it's important to hold on to that interaction between nature and the human body and mind. Major avoidance of the sun is a big risk factor in almost every form of mortality. We're dying faster when we leave our sun behind us. Being separated from the sun for too long, being in the dark for too long, 
it causes people to start feeling more isolation, depression, and it even triggers insecurity issues. This happens often in Nordic regions and in areas that don't get as much solar yield during the year. It has an effect on our mood, a big one. I believe it's possible to cultivate this emotional well-being that large groups of people and generations haven't experienced in years. I believe it because I did it when I moved here to the woods. Previously, living in New York, I didn't want to leave my apartment that often. I mean, I did. We all have to go to the grocery store and go do laundry and go to work and whatnot. But other than those things that I was forced to do if I wanted to eat and network and hold a job, I honestly didn't get out much for personal or healthy reasons. I learned you had to plan all your trips up there according to where you needed to go to make it less difficult. It was crowded. Certain times of day meant an influx of people traffic. For example, if I wanted to get groceries from one area and needed to meet somebody for a job and do laundry all in the same day, I had to know the time to meet my person and plan on the grocery shopping and laundry around that trip, find grocery stores and laundromats in that area, because otherwise I'd be riding subways and trains and taxis all day long, going from one side of the city to another. A trip there, just two miles away, takes 45 minutes to an hour, and you just don't want to be stuck in traffic all day long. It would take all day just to get a few things done, so yeah, plans, all the time. Once I was inside my apartment again for the day, I did not want to go out anymore. I understand the divorce from nature and sunshine from that experience alone. I avoided the sun a lot up there. Not out of fear, but out of necessity and out of being busy. I lived in an apartment building with no private courtyard or anything, no real place to relax in the sunshine unless I wanted to ride a train for another hour to the park and then spend 20 minutes looking for a spot away from everybody and then not really getting that much time to myself before I would have to think again about going back home, which would take another hour and 30 minutes or so, depending on rush hour. So unless you were really good at scheduling your day in New York City... Avoiding the sunshine became a normal thing to do. And so I understand why millions of people don't get outside, don't get enough sun. A lot of them can't do it that easily. And it's just the way that we've set up our modern world. Nature has some really deep secrets, though, that get a little more accessible when there's this nice degree of intimacy there between it and us. The sun, this star that we rely on for our life force, it's got more than just physical advantages. It's a mental fire, genuine curiosities, and emotional and philosophical epiphanies come from that light, that connected warmth and fire. We're more than just animated carcasses walking around. And we need to feed our mentalities and our sense of spirituality just as much as we do our bodies. 
Millions of years ago, our ancestors saw the sun as something sacred. They knew its strength and its power, and a lot of societies developed religions around it, worshiping the sun. I mean, we all know the Egyptians did. They're the first group that usually comes to mind. But did you know, if you read the history and the documents of Egyptian religion right alongside the historic documents from the Christian faith, that a lot of these things all these people believed in were almost identical. They just had different names and details. In my 20s, when I was really into learning about other cultures and religions, because I think it's all fascinating, I got my hands on a copy of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And as I was reading it, I began to recognize certain things. Where had I heard and and felt these things before? And then it hit me. This is practically mirrored in the book of Revelation in the King James Version of the Bible. And it makes sense when I thought about it. If you do believe any of the history, then you know the Hebrews were there. They were there in Egypt as slaves for years. And when you have people enslaved in any location or culture, religions start to mingle and mix together. I found some remnants lying around the internet, some information regarding different religious texts, one in particular, the Book of Enoch. I think it's a Hebrew thing, but don't quote me on that. It's, it's been a long time. But I found in that text something that alluded to the fact that this Enoch man had visions and visits from God telling him more or less that the stars and the moon were angels themselves. Now, I'm not a religious scholar or anything, but I did kind of get that from reading it. And yes, I read it. It was interesting. I've always been interested in everything. I'm a naturally curious person, especially when it comes to what draws people's spiritual inclinations together and what gives us a sense of peace and well-being. Peace doesn't come from physical things alone. Sometimes it doesn't come from physical things at all. Spiritual growth and inner peace and compassion has been a top priority of mine all my life. It overrides everything else in my life. And I don't have a problem with Christians or super religious organization prone people, as long as they're not trying to hurt anybody else. So lots of people, including some Christians and Hebrews, have attributed the sun to a deity at some point. Most of us have, unless you're an atheist or agnostic. At some point, we've had some sort of spiritual relationship to the sun because it's a powerful thing. It's a massive floating ball of fire in the sky that sustains our life. How is that not potent enough to give a person a sense of respect for it, regardless of what they believe? So is attaching a deity or a living force to the sun like being religiously brainwashed? Well, it depends on the health of your mind and how far you take it. Spiritual people are perfectly capable of keeping a balance within themselves learning and growing and evolving without becoming detached, judgmental, insane, 
like some of my ancestors when they killed their daughter for being possessed by the devil. That's a little extreme, and I don't abide. (laughs) We just tend to hear about the religious groups that take these things beyond reason. We hear about them the most often. And it's easy to believe that anybody who holds any spirituality in high regard might be crazy. And it's a shame that this kind of thing can be taken to a negative place and affect other people's lives in bad ways. Because the truth is, we have a tendency to really connect ourselves to the power and the essence of dynamic and impressive sources like the sun and the weather. And we have the ability then to see through that thing and into the eyes of, of what we might call God or our soul connection or creation or whatever you want to call it. And it's a very emotional experience. And that's a very compelling thing. It's what gives us insight and epiphanies and the curiosity and the motivation to look deeper. So I guess the sun is kind of a tool, a window, or a mental portal to some other sacred place. I'm a sun worshiper. Not in a cult-like regard or anything. I don't tie anybody down to rocks and pretend like the devil's coming. and that, That's just weird. But I do love the sun. I need it. I need it like I need air to breathe. I'll step outside in the middle of winter just after it's snowed. There's fresh powder on the ground and the light reflects it all so bright that it blinds me. And I'll stand in that cold space and let the sun shine down on me and find that spiritual place within myself that keeps me mentally balanced and psychologically sane in the dead cold of February. It pulls me out of that winter darkness, that funk of my own mind, that place that I can get lost in if I'm not careful. I can't be separated from the sun, and so I pay close attention to it, even when it's cold and icy outside. Even when it's hidden behind gray clouds over a mountain encased in ice and black, wet, dead, fallen branches. I know that sun is there, giving the sky its cool, eerie glow, and I find solace in that. Fire is a big attraction to me, whether I get it in large doses like the sun or in small pockets like candles and lanterns. You know, it's, it's a wonder that I'm not a pyromaniac because I love watching things burn. When I was younger, about 14-ish, I think, somewhere around there, I was in a house with my mother and my sisters. There was this old barn out in a field beside us that I could see from my bed, out my bedroom window. I could just lie there and look at this old barn, and I used to watch the sunset behind it. Well, one night we got this really bad storm, and there was lightning everywhere, and it struck that barn in the dark. And I was the first person who saw it. I saw the strike, I saw the smoke, and I stared at it in excitement, as I watched it very quickly go up in flames. I realized, of course, I should tell somebody, so I ran downstairs and informed my mother. But before I did, 
I laid there for a second and watched as the fire took over it. It was empty for years, and in our side yard, and it was in the middle of the night, so I didn't think anybody would be in it, unless we had some sort of serial killer visitor hiding out there, so I wasn't that concerned. And yeah, I watched it for a few seconds before I told anybody, and I didn't want to tell anybody. It was my moment. I could have laid there and watched it all without saying a word, but I did. And when I lived in New York, I knew a guy who threw a lit cigarette out a window one time in our apartment building, and it started a a small fire in the dumpster right next to my apartment wall. I was right beside it, and I saw it flare up and get bigger. And knowing that this was very dangerous, I still sat there, excited, even more excited when the hot firemen came in and did their thing. I mean, New York firemen are fit. But I was excited about something that could potentially kill me. It's a dangerous kind of love, my relationship with fire. (laughs) I understand the attraction to the sun in such a way as to give it a soul and even a gender and revere it like a god. I totally get it. I'm attracted to gold for that reason, because it gleams and it shines like the sun. Not a big fan of diamonds, but I like gold because, you know, the sun. So when a storm turns up the sand and and the boulders in the creek here on the mountain, which is actually a young river now after the hurricane, you can see the gold in the water. No lie, it's in there. The western mountains of North Carolina, there are a, a lot of gem and gold mines here. The Appalachian Mountain Range is the oldest range in the country. And so its peaks are lower because of the sediment and its age. And there are caves and caverns full of gemstones and crystals and gold. They're so easy to find. So when you get storms here, you see lots of shiny particles. I was once asked by a friend why, why I'm not panning for gold in my creek. Well, here's my reason. Because I would have to sit there and do nothing but pan for teeny tiny dust flakes of gold all day for days and days and days. Just to collect enough to pay for the gas to go sell it. And I'm not going to do that. Now, if there's an untapped mine around here somewhere, maybe. But no panning in the creek all day. That's just tedious. But, you know, I got off the subject of sunshine, didn't I? I got obsessed with gold. (laughs) It happens. I invite everybody, even if it's difficult and you have to plan on a way, to get out and into the sun this weekend somehow, even if it's cold out, and let that light shine down on your face. It's there in the clouds and to consider treating the sun like a health supplement instead of something to avoid and forget about. You don't have to lay out in it 24 hours a day. Just walk around outside and let it shine down on you. Let's put some of this darkness and depression behind us for a while. Put it in the past, where it belongs, and move out into the light again. This has been Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'd like to thank those who support this podcast on the regular and keep it alive. Chris Nolan, Sheila McGregor, Arnold Bloom, Robin Umber, 
Yvonne Ragland, Bruce Presson, and William Bishop. Things like this take money to secure music licensing, editing software subscriptions, and distribution fees. So thank you to all of those who also contribute to the virtual tip jar as well. I don't take it for granted, and it's so appreciated. Take care of yourselves and your family and your friends. Have a great weekend, and come back to listen again next week.